This is the podcast for Centerpoint Church, and my name is Jason. I'm excited to spend some time with you today. Our sermon is titled, Build Back Biblical. We're going to be looking at some deep truths today and seeing what they have to do with the United States, what they have to do with your life. I hope you get something out of it. As promised, our message today is called Build Back Biblical, because we are 48 hours away from Election Day. And if you didn't know that, you'll know by the end of our time today quite clearly. But I want to show you Scripture today, and I want to talk about why I think it's important that followers of Jesus don't just vote, but that you also have a voice in public policy and, and, and why that's important and what the Bible has to say about all of that. But let me make something perfectly clear. I believe that God has blessed the United States of America in a supernatural way. It makes no sense how a country of ragtag misfits can in just a couple hundred years grow to one of the greatest countries that this world has ever seen if it wasn't ordained by God. I don't see how a couple of men can get together and come up with a document that is so brilliant called the Constitution unless it was ordained by God and that the, that the Holy Spirit guided these godly men. And make no mistake, as much as revisionist history wants to tell you, our founding fathers were followers of Jehovah. And they wanted to establish this country on biblical principles, which is one of the reasons I believe that the favor of God has always been on us. But that's not saying that it always will be. I want you to hear what George Washington said at his first inaugural address. You're not going to hear this on mainstream media. But, but at his first inaugural address, he warned us for our country to never depart from biblical principles that he believed flowed very clearly from God and what the, 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 the issue would be things to watch out for if that happens. Listen to this quote. The propitious, which means favorable, smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. Say in a country that wants to have the favor of God poured upon it can never turn its back on biblical principles and expect the favor of God on it. That's interesting. So we have an election coming up in two days. And I have some statistics that I think are going to be quite alarming as to why and how many Christians just simply don't vote. Why I think it's important. So I want you to hear this. According to the Baptist press in 2012, so think about the presidential election of 2012. By the way, <laughs> for those of you that are like stressed out that I'm going to tell you to vote a particular party that's not what you believe in, calm down. I'm not going to say any of that. What I'm going to challenge you to do, though, is to look at things through the lens of things biblically and let's look above political parties because political parties come and go. They're created by man. Sometimes they, they, they believe different things and 10 years later the parties switch and it's this and that and we're not putting our hope in mortal men and women. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you vote this way or vote that way. So relax. And some of you are like, oh, why not? You coward. It's because I'm smart. According to the Baptist Press in 2012, almost 30 million Christians did not vote. Let that sink in for a minute. 
Almost 30 million Christians did not vote in an election that was decided by a couple hundred thousand votes in a few particular states. In 2020, it gets worse. According to NPR, which normally doesn't have news that's slanted towards conservative values, and even they said that in this last 2020 election, it was the greatest percentage of Americans that voted in 120 years, yet about 80 million people didn't vote. And they say that out of the 80 million people that didn't vote, 64% of them claimed to be evangelical Christians. So even conservatively, we're talking almost 40 million Christians didn't vote. Do you want to know what some of the major reasons those that didn't vote say they didn't vote? Number one is apathy, which means my vote doesn't matter. What am I going to do? I'm just one person. And the other one is I didn't like either candidate. But there's this sneaky little thing in which multiple people can run, and you can even write in a candidate if you want. I suggest Gerald McCormick for president, personally. The first applause of the message, probably the last. And I want us to take a few minutes before we jump into the word to show you why I think it's important that believers vote. And if you haven't ever voted up to this point, that's okay. I know about it, but that's okay. But you have a chance to correct that in 48 hours. I wrote this up on the, I have this up on the screen. I want you to either take a picture of it or go back because I I put a lot of words on here because I didn't want to mess this up. I really felt this way as I was preparing for this a couple weeks ago. Listen to this. Voting is part of our stewardship. We are to steward all of the resources God has given us in ways that bring him honor. Living in the USA with religious freedom and democracy is a gift that very few Christians have had in the history of the world. To waste a vote is to squander a gift. Think about how many believers in the world today would love to live in a country where one, they have religious freedom, and two, where they have a democracy. Yet we have 40 million Christians that say, nah, not worth it. Imagine how many believers in the history of the world would have loved, it was unfathomable for them to think that they could live in a country where they could actually vote and have an opinion. As somebody who has two daughters, I am so thankful that God allowed them to be born at this time in this country because even in the world today, it's difficult to be a young female. Yet, so much of what we do is to steward what God has given us and we don't take it serious, whether it's the money. It's not your money. It's money God's given you to steward. They're not your children. God created the children. You didn't. It's up to us to steward them while we have them. And I believe that not voting is not being a good steward of what God has given us. I didn't put this in here, but I also think that the men and women that serve in our military, that give up their whole lives to fight for us to have the right to vote and religious freedom. What does that say? There's some of you right here that are active military and veterans. What does that say? You can clap for the veterans. That's okay. I don't know. I'm Baptist. We don't clap in church. I don't know. And the Pentecostals are like, let's shout amen. Come on now. Number two is this. Voting publicly recognizes that we submit to the authority of the political system in our nation as established by God. This is the part that some of you aren't going to like. Now, if your candidate is in the White House right now, you're going to love this. But will you in two years or six years? Did you 
The last time that somebody that wasn't the candidate that you agreed with in the White House, did you like this portion of scripture in Romans 13? We either believe the entire Bible is, is without error and inspired by the Holy Spirit or throw it all out. So here's a part that's very difficult when your political party loses an election. Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that God has the power to make kings and queens as he sees according to his will? The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who will bring judgment upon themselves. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear? of one in authority, then do what is right and you will be commended. For the, for the one in authority is God's servant, but for your good. But if, do, but if you do wrong, be afraid for the rulers who do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, listen to this part, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. That's tough. That means that God can bring in bad leadership for punishment. But what is the punishment? It's not because he's angry. It's to bring people back to repentance and reliance upon him. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why, <laughs> hold on. You ever read the Bible and think, man, can I, can I take that out of the Bible? Because I don't like that part. I want you to hear verse six. This is why you also pay taxes. You ever said, oh, thank the Lord, they just took out a third of my paycheck. They are spending it so wisely. <laughs> I wish that part wasn't in there. For the authorities are God's servants who will give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Can I be honest with you for just a moment? Okay, not a single person. All right. But let me just lie to you for a minute, okay? Can I be honest with you for a moment? This last couple, these last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this, like God convicted me on a few things that I wish he didn't. I'm sitting there watching TV, watching the news, which is a recipe for my joy to completely disappear quickly. And I find myself starting to verbally disrespect those people who are in a government position. And it's not just that I'm saying that. It's that my kids are sitting right there listening. And, and, and I felt God kind of push in a little bit of, your children don't know anything about 403Bs and 401Ks and student loan forgiveness and any of those other things that are driving you crazy. They don't know that. But what they are hearing is a lack of respect for authority. Oh, don't say that now. <laughs> and I think that what we are seeing right now is the fruits of a generation of children that are growing up in households in which we don't know how to submit. And we have no respect for authority, whether it be school teachers or principals or the mayor or the governor or the president or the police. 
Because now we see a generation, and what it does is, isn't just these, these men and women that God puts in leadership. It gets worse than that. We see a generation growing up that has no respect or submission to what the Word of God says. And we see that now because they say, though the Word of God says that, this is how I feel. So who is, are you to tell me that I can't do this? That I'm attracted to this. I feel like doing this. And who are you? Because there's a people who cannot submit to the authority of the Lord. And it trickles down. But we have the ability to change that in our household. So here's the question. What do we do if there's poor, corrupt leadership in place? What do we do? Are we... Is the church supposed to be jellyfish that just doesn't have spines? Are we supposed to be porcupines that hurt everybody that comes near us? Like, what does that look like when there's corrupt leadership? What do we do? And I think it's a great question. But I think that we can't fall into this, we're going to be the silent majority because somebody's voice is going to be heard. Why not the church? Somebody's voice is going to be heard. So what do we do if corrupt leadership takes control? I think the first thing is this, recognize our primary citizenship. Now keep in mind that when Paul was writing that chapter of Romans about submitting to governing authorities, they weren't talking about people who just had bad economic policies and just print money like it's no, no, there's nothing and then they wonder why inflation goes up when they print more money. Like It wasn't just that. He's writing this to people who are taking their families and persecuting them and feeding them to the lions and, 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 and there's some serious persecution. Imagine what that would feel like if Paul said, hey, you got to respect them because God's put it in, the, in place and trust the process. That would be hard to swallow. But we do have a primary citizenship. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippians 3, 17 through 20. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, as just as you have have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He's saying, you know, follow along the people who are doing what we're supposed to be doing. For as often as I told you before now and tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're not our enemy. You and I don't have any enemies, except for Satan. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set only on earthly things. And listen to this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So despite all of these other things going on, and patriotism is great, but keep in mind some perspective that our citizenship is in heaven and heaven first. I, I have a secret for you, Miss Betty. Are you ready? You probably already know this because you're smart. You were a school teacher for 30 years, man. Ain't nothing under the sun that surprises you, huh? Heaven is not going to be be split up and divided by what country we come from. Did you know that? It's not going to be like, hey, welcome to heaven. If you are from the United States, Estados Unidos, I tried Darlene, sorry, and Estados Unidos, and, 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 and you come over here, and, and if you're from Japan, you go over there, and if you, like, it's not how it's going to be. I've also got news for you, and some of you aren't going to like this, especially if you're raised Church of Christ. Heaven's not going to be divided by denominations. Oh, the Church of God are like, that's right. But we need to recognize this, point number two. 
recognize that biblical principles top political policies. I almost said Trump political policies, but something told me that wasn't the right word to use at this time. <laughs> recognize that biblical principles top political policies. See, I want to make something very clear. I'm talking about political policies such as taxation, such as things that are political that I believe that we are to yield to and to submit to. But if those ever interfere with biblical principles, then we've seen from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Daniel, to King David, to Jesus, that there are some things that are worth standing up for. There's an author named Stephen Matson, and, and, and I wrote this quote down from him. Sometimes being a good Christian meant being a bad Roman. So before you accuse people of being unpatriotic, ask yourself which empire they're actually serving. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty weighty statement right there. It's something that I think that we need to recognize. Aren't you glad that you're here today? There's a decent shot that this thing's not going to exist on the internet today. <laughs> it's a decent shot. So be here live. You never know. I want to pivot for the second half of this message to an Old Testament prophet. And it's an Old Testament prophet. He's a minor prophet. Three chapters in his book. Very small, very easy to kind of bypass if you don't really you know, know what you're looking for. And it's Habakkuk. Now, some of you may call him Habakkuk a couple different ways. I'm a Habakkuk guy. My wife's a Habakkuk guy. You determine who's right. But Habakkuk. And, and this takes place in, in around 600, 605 BC. So about six centuries before the earthly ministry of Jesus. And in case you want to impress your friends. In seminary, they tell you that Habakkuk is known as the Y prophet, the Y prophet. So store that in your mind next time you're around your friends and you want to show off a little bit. The Y prophet. And here's why. That's elite level. Some of y'all missed it. Here's why. It's because he prayed a lot like you and I pray when he says, God, why are you not doing anything over and over and over again? And he's lamenting the state of the, the spiritual state of Judah. So this takes place during the divided kingdom, Israel and Judah, and Habakkuk is going straight to Judah. Now, Back then, God spoke to people through prophets. He would speak to prophets. Prophets would say, this is what God says. You and I don't have to do that anymore because we're in the new covenant and the Holy Spirit is in us now. But back then, they had to wait. And so God speaks to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, my wife's a bad influence on me. Habakkuk. And, and he gives him a message. But before that, Habakkuk questions God. This audible out loud question. Do you know what you're doing? Why are you letting all of this happen? Because what happened is, is Judah suffered moral decay. This should sound familiar, by the way. When it starts off great, and it's freedom, and you've never experienced this before, you're like, Lord, thank you for this life. And then after a while, as you, you, you experience prosperity, you start to get a little complacent. You start to fall into this trap of that you're the reason that you're prosperous rather than the favor of God on your family. And then you start thinking that what you feel is more important than what God said. And so we start seeing Judah fall into that same trap of slowly moving away from biblical principles. Sound familiar? And Habakkuk is questioning God. 
And I want you to hear this, by the way. Now you'll have a little more appreciation for this minor prophet because don't pretend like you woke up this morning and you're like, I could really use some Habakkuk right now. Like, I can't wait. Or when you do that thing that sometimes you do, and, and I've been guilty of it before as well, is you, you start flipping through your Bible and you're like, Lord, just land on a verse that you want me to hear today. And, and I doubt very many of you landed on Habakkuk and you're like, oh, sweet, this is what I was hoping for. No, you pass, go, collect $200, let's go to some Psalms, right? Habakkuk, I'm funnier than, than you're laughing, but that's all right. Habakkuk 1, verse 2 through 4. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. He's crying out to God, why aren't you doing anything? You see all of these evil things happening. You see people turning their back on you, yet you do nothing. You sit back and let evil win. Why? And then something happens that I don't think, I don't think he expected. God answers. God actually answers him audibly. And you and I get this entire conversation here in the Bible. We get to, to hear it. This is like our own reality show right here. And we have the script. Listen to how God responds. Verse 5. This is God. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. Now, hold on. You ever said a prayer that right after you were done, you're like, ooh, I shouldn't have prayed that. One time I prayed for patience. God, give me more patience. One time I said that my word of the year that I'm praying that God will help me in is, is my generosity. And we gave away more money that year than ever. And the next thing I know, we got to move to a different town to go pastor a church. <laughs> what a mistake. Don't pray that God will stir in your heart to increase your tithe. Just kidding. Do, please. I, I, I would imagine that at this time, Habakkuk is like, hold on. I prayed for you to do something, but you're going to send the Babylonians? Now, some of your, your, your Bibles may say the Chaldeans, synonyms. The Babylonians were ruthless people that had no respect for God. Imagine what they would do to the women and the children, let alone the men. And God is like, hey, I know things are bad and you're not going to believe what I'm going to do. Check this out. I'm going to send the Babylonians to take over and rule this place. And, and Habakkuk is like, oh, no, 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 no. I take that back. I take that back. I take that back. Please, nope. Just, just go back because they're way worse than we are. I'd rather just have what we have. But, but God is about to give them mercy by giving them poor, corrupt leadership. Do you want to know why? Because if he didn't, Judah would have never repented and been brought back to God. 
So sometimes God allows corrupt leadership to bring you to repentance, to reliance on him. You see, we either believe that God establishes rulers or we don't. We either believe that God is sovereign or he's not. We either believe that God is all-powerful, omnipotent, and that he sees the end from the beginning or we don't. And sometimes, even when it's not what we want, we trust the process. We trust him. I'm thankful, Andrew, that in 41 years, I know, I look good for my age. That in 41, <laughs> thank you, if you ever said amen. That wasn't my wife, which is strange, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm thankful in 41 years that I haven't figured out God all the way. That his ceiling is in my intellectual capacity. I'm thankful. Because if I could figure out God in 41 years, three decades of that, which I barely even followed him, he's not too powerful of a God. And so God tells Habakkuk that I am going to bring the Babylonians and listen to how God describes them. It's his way of saying, I know what I'm doing and I know that they're terrible, but trust me, listen to this. Verse six, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. I found this interesting. I wanted to know what that meant. Some of you say wolves at night. Basically means a wolf who hasn't eaten all day. And so he's hungry, he's desperate, he's ravenous. And, and so that paints a, a better picture. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Like, okay, God, you made a point. I get it. Then they sweep past the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. See, sometimes God is going to bring difficulties to bring people to repentance, not punishment, but to bring them to repentance. The heart of God is always to bring his people closer to him. And he's going to do that by any means necessary. What's interesting about this is you ever met anybody who's from Babylon? You ever talk to somebody and you're like, hey, where were you born? Oh, Babylon. No, because it doesn't exist. For a time it did, for God to use for his purpose, but it will not exist if it is not of God. Yet the people of Judah who were about to be ushered into experiences that were difficult of King Nebuchadnezzar still survived. Because God will always take care of his people. Are you going to plan your next vacation to Babylon? No, you're not. You're going to plan your next vacation to Jericho? No, you're not. You may be able to go like we did and see, hey, there's the rubble where it kind of stood. But the people of God, they always survive. But sometimes God will bring things in your life to bring you to repentance. Now, what if the same format happened? I'm not saying, but what if... God was like, hey, to get your attention, there's going to be this thing called corona. 
And what is going to happen is, is during this time, your life's going to just come to a screeching halt and you're going to see how fickle life can be and you're going to see how you can be drawn closer to me that man cannot solve your problems. And, and during that time, you're going to be recalibrated with what's important and what isn't. And you're going to see that we need God and that his favor needs to be upon us. And during that time, there's going to be leaders who are going to lust for power and control and they're going to become corrupt and they're going to show you what man does rather than who God is. What if, what if God said, hey, you know, these elections that you've been hoping for, it won't bring you to repentance. It will bring you to reliance on man rather than reliance on me. And so I'm going to use this for a time being but you're either going to trust me or you're not. What if? What, what's the likelihood of this sermon lasting on YouTube now? <laughs> Aren't you thankful you're here live? But what if? Let's even take that to a little smaller. There's been times of my life when difficult things have happened and I look back now and I can say, okay, that's why God did that. Okay, that's why that happened. Okay, I know at the time it was God that I thought he was punishing me and mad at me, but no, no, no. It was because he needed to bring me to repentance and closer, and that's why he allowed that to happen. I see that. But when we're in the middle of it, it's, it's just like Habakkuk. Like, what, what are you doing? Do you even know? I was thinking this week about chemotherapy and what chemotherapy is, what the point of chemotherapy is, and what it does. Now, you can trust me despite medical misinformation because I have a first aid merit badge with the Boy Scouts of America. That's the extent of my medical training. Sorry, Katie. But, but chemotherapy is this idea of your body is going to die. And, 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 and we're going to have this last-ditch effort in which we're going to inject toxins into your body and it's going to kill those healthy cells right when they're dividing in hopes that it will take a toll on you, but to give you life that you normally wouldn't be able to have if we didn't do something. And I think that for Habakkuk, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians coming in was kind of God's way of chemotherapy in which it's going to be, I am doing this and it's going to have some negative effects and it's going to hurt for a while, but the point is to give you life. I love how this book ends. I love that, that the way that Habakkuk ends this thought is for you and I to still see because he ends it with a prayer that I think that we can all relate to. And it has these three words, yet I will. It's the biggest takeaway I want you to have from this week. Yet I will. See, God didn't have to include the doubt of this prophet in this book. Do you know that? These times where the prophet's like, are you even there? I don't even know. Why are you doing this? It's God who decided this was going to be in Holy Scripture. And so he allowed us to see that man doubted for a while. Why? 
because you and I doubt sometimes we need to be reminded we we lose track of things that are above and we focus on things that are earthly sometimes and I love that I follow a God who allows the doubt to still be included in scripture so that he can address it he doesn't just say take my word for it don't worry about it you heard what I said or Eric what you say sometimes to your kids because I said so that's all that the Bible could have said <laughs> don't do this because I said so but that's not who our Lord is. Habakkuk chapter 3. This is after he hears the Babylonians are going to come in, after he, 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 he understands all that's about to happen to them. I love this. This is him. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will Wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He's saying, I'm really scared. And I'm not sure you know what you're doing. And I don't know how this is going to work. Yet, I will trust you. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, fruit, the food, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, I don't see anything that's going to happen that's prosperous in this. I don't know how my life is going to look, yet I will rejoice that you are in control. I will rejoice that my hope doesn't come from man. It comes from you, Lord. I will rejoice that your will be done. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I want those three words to be a rallying cry for you over the next 48 hours as we approach election day, over the next 480 years of your life. I want that to be the, the, the cry of you, the understanding of no matter what happens, yet I will. Because some of you have prayed for somebody that you love to be healed and the healing didn't happen on this side of earth. Yet... I will. Some of you have had some terrible things done to you in your past, in your childhood, in your present. And you say, I don't understand it. I'm not okay with it, but I trust you, God. Yet I will never stop declaring your praises. It's the same prayer of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're about to get thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing down. And they said, my God will save me, but even if he chooses not to, I will forever declare his praises. Can we say that, church? Can that be our rallying cry? Yet I will. Would you stand with me? There's a lot of things in life, in my own life, that I don't understand that would be different if I could. I wish that I had the power to answer all of your prayers. I really do. But I don't pray necessarily for that above everything else. I, I pray that God's will be done and that he gives you peace. 
then that's not minimizing what you're going through. It's maximizing my Lord who sees all the details. And so the situation that you're in right now, the situation that you've come out of, and maybe even the situation that's waiting for you next week that you don't know about, now is the time to solidify our theology when we say, yet I will.